Welcome to the end of 2022 and the start of 2023. As I record this, I have no idea when I'm going to have time to edit and publish it, so I don't know what year it's coming out. I decided not to do a Q&A this year because I've done them in the past and there's really not a lot more for me to answer. But I did have some changes coming up in 2023, so I considered just announcing those at the beginning of an episode or maybe do this episode where I announce them and also do a few case updates. I just wasn't sure I'd have time to do it. Then a listener, Despina, and I hope I'm saying that right, emailed suggesting that I do case updates. And I thought if two of us have the same brilliant idea, then I should probably do it. So let's go ahead and cover the changes for 2023 first, and then I'll get to the case updates. I'll have them listed in the show notes in the order I cover them, so you can skip around if you want. There really aren't a lot since I don't cover a ton of unsolved cases or active investigations. But for the changes to crime lines. This has been a very busy year. I've been to a lot of meetups, Mobile, Anchorage, Dallas, Las Vegas, Kansas City, and Atlanta. I don't know that I could pick a highlight at this point, but I do have to say the Generation Y 10-year live show might be it, but it is hard to choose. 2022 was also a year where I tried a lot of new bonus content ideas like doing after shows, and then I switched to interviews with other podcasters. And then, of course, I've done holiday extras, whether it was the extra Halloween ones or the 12 Days of Crime lines, which was our second year doing that. And then 2022 also became the year that I burned out. So a little history lesson here. I never intended Crime Lines to be a weekly show. When my last podcast, Insight, ended, we were doing three episodes a month with two hosts and we took turns writing and editing the episodes. So that wasn't really a huge workload. I was doing one or two episodes a month. And I figured that I could keep that with Crime Lines by doing a show every other week. But I thought, let's go ahead and start weekly for the first few months so that I can build up some momentum and interest in the show, grow it a little bit, show that I'm here, I'm showing up, it's going to be great, and then I could back off to the every other week sustainable schedule. But as we know, I did not do that. Instead, I made 45 to 60 minute episodes weekly, mostly by myself, for three years. Then we add in my Patreon bonus content and then extra bonus episodes like the 12 Days of Crime Lines and those interviews with other podcasters. It was too much, but it was still manageable chaos until life stuff started happening, and I really wasn't managing it well at all. I took a step back this past July, taking a little bit more time off in the second half of the year, and it made me realize that I really did need a more manageable schedule going forward. I can't sustain being a single bad week away from everything falling apart. I'm just too old for that kind of stress. So in talking with several other podcasters who do either two episodes or three episodes a month, I found that the three episodes a month was the sweet spot for content for the listeners and time management for the podcaster, particularly when we're talking about solo shows like mine 
who don't have regular researchers and writers and producers and editors. I do thankfully have an editor now who cleans up my audio, but I do all the content editing before it even gets sent to him. So I'm still editing it and then he's polishing it. So in 2023, Crimelines is going to release regular content on the first, third, and fourth weeks of the month. The second week will either have no episode or it will have an interview with another podcaster if I have the time and energy for it. We're going to call it a flex week. If there is a fifth release day in a month, I'll just take it off. This change won't affect Patreon and Apple subscriber bonus content. The main bonus episode will be released during that second week when there isn't a regular episode. And then the second bonus episode that is at the $5 Patreon level will just come out towards the end of the month like usual. I also take one of my old Patreon episodes and upload it for Apple subscribers every month, and that will also be released towards the end of the month. I'm hoping making this change will help with those times when my kids are sick or school's on a break or I'm stressed out. And also it'll hopefully leave me with some time to binge a new book or delve into a history topic or, I don't know, watch TV. When my podcast started making money, like not just pocket change, but income type money, my hobby became my job. And that is a dream come true. Now I need to make room for other hobbies. Now, another change in 2023 is that I'm switching from a Monday release day to a Wednesday. Midweek just makes more sense for my schedule for a number of reasons. And so the ad-free version for Patreon supporters and Apple subscribers will be up on Sunday, and then it'll be out for everyone on Wednesday. And one more thing about 2022, as I reflect on what was a wonderful and difficult year, was January 2022. The 12 days of crime lines were over, but then I had to jump right into January's content. It was a massive mistake, and it caused me way too much stress. So for 2023, I will be taking off a little time in January, but you won't really notice. I have two episodes from Patreon that are over a year old. One was about Israel Keys and his known victims, and the other was about a research trip I went on with Josh from True Crime Bullshit in regards to Keys and a suspected victim of his. I'm going to release those in the main feed on January 11th and 18th, and then I'll be back on the 25th with a case that was actually supposed to be part of 12 Days of Crime Lines, but then I ended up with more cases than days, so I'm just going to save it for late January. Then in February, we will start with our new schedule of episodes being released on the first, third, and fourth Wednesdays. But I know just taking January a little bit easier and getting ahead on things will do wonders for my headspace. So those are our changes for 2023. If you have any questions, you can always email me at crimelinespodcast at gmail.com. Okay, so let's get into the updates. I don't have a ton, but I do have a few, and some of them are big. We're going to go in chronological order of how I covered them on the podcast. Since I've never done a single case update episode like this, we're going to go back to the beginning, and we're going to start with G.J. Thickey. 
In October 2016, DJ Thickey was shot and killed. Law enforcement ruled it a suicide, in part because that's what the witnesses said happened. However, they had interviewed all of the witnesses at the same time together. Two of these witnesses later said that they lied because they were afraid of the man who was there, the one they said actually shot DJ. DJ's family, particularly his sister Amanda, has been fighting to get justice for him since this was clearly not a suicide. And four years later, the Georgia Bureau of Investigations actually changed the manner of death from suicide to undetermined. No charges have been filed yet, but this was a huge step and really something that doesn't happen. We do not see movement on changing the manner of death like this, and it's all because DJ's sister Amanda fought for the truth to come out. The next update is Jennifer Dulos and the Daybell Vallow cases. I'm clumping these together because they are both pending trial and they are still pending trial. Hopefully, they will have some resolution in 2023. The Daybell Vallow cases are on the docket to go to trial, and the co-conspirators, alleged co-conspirators in the Jennifer Dulos case, keep getting delays. Who knows when it's going to happen, but I do have faith that there's going to be some legal resolution in 2023. Probably the biggest update I do have today is the Lady of the Dunes case. She was found in 1974 in Provincetown, Massachusetts. Her hands were removed to hide her identity, which told pretty much any amateur or professional detective that she probably knew her killer because her killer was trying to hide her identity, knowing that it would link back to him. Using forensic genealogy, on October 31st, 2022, the FBI announced that the victim had been identified. Her name was Ruth Marie Terry. She was from Tennessee, but she had ties to multiple states, including Michigan, California, and Massachusetts. Just two days later, the authorities announced they were looking for information on Terry's husband. His legal name was Guy Rockwell Moldavin, or maybe Moldavin, I don't know. He's deceased and used a number of aliases. He could probably be a subject of his own podcast, similar to Terry Rasmussen, a.k.a. the Bear Brook Killer, because he used all these aliases and he was suspected of many crimes. He was the prime suspect in a 1950 murder of Henry Baird and his girlfriend, Barbara Jo Kelly. Then he was suspected in 1960 in the murders of his second wife and her daughter. Now, this case is interesting because they found dismembered human body parts in his septic tank, but they could not prove that they were from his wife or his stepdaughter. But he had very quickly remarried and then swindled his third wife's family out of thousands of dollars in some type of antiques deal scheme. And so he was charged and convicted of larceny charges. He was supposed to go to prison, but his sentence got suspended if he repaid the money. From what investigators have released, Guy and Terry were married in February 1974, and months later, she was found dead. So he had at least four wives, and one was missing and one was found dead. 
So I am going to go out on a limb and say that he is the prime suspect in this case. However, he is deceased, so no charges will come from it. It is still under investigation, though. Anne Rule had actually written about Guy's first wife's case. You know those anthology books she has with multiple shorter true crime stories in them? In her 2007 book, Smoke, Mirrors, and Murder, she wrote that he had married a woman named Terry in Washoe County, Nevada, and that was the last public record she could find about him. There's no way she could have known at the time that that Terry that she wrote about was also a murder victim who was at the time known as Lady of the Dunes. All right, next up is a update on the Brianna Taylor case. Brianna Taylor had been fatally shot in her Louisville, Kentucky apartment in March of 2020. Back when I covered the case in June 2020, I said that the warrant was an issue because the postal inspector claimed that he didn't tell the police what they said he did in order to get their warrant for Brianna's home. Well, that chicken has come back to roost. In August 2022, the United States Department of Justice announced that it indicted three police officers on charges of conspiracy, obstruction of justice, and civil rights violations for conspiring to mislead the judge who approved the search warrant. Brett Hankinson, who was previously acquitted on charges of firing bullets into the neighboring apartment, has also been charged with civil rights violations. Of the first three officers indicted, Kelly Godlett, Joshua Jaynes, and Kyle Meany, Kelly Goodlett has already pled guilty. The rest of the charges are pending, so expect to hear them at next year's end-of-year case update. Next update is Robert Durst. His trial for the murder of his friend Susan Berman eventually occurred, and it was an absolute circus. But in September 2021, he was convicted. Three weeks later, he was sentenced to life in prison, which seemed like it would be a pretty short sentence, seeing as he was very ill at the time. He died in January 2022. His wife Kathleen is still missing, but her family did file a wrongful death lawsuit against Durst's estate. Another missing persons case I covered was Angela Green. I covered this case pretty early on when a friend got me in touch with Angela's daughter. This case happened in Prairie Village, Kansas, which is on the border of Kansas City, Missouri. So it's not quite a hometown case for me, but pretty close. It has gotten more coverage since I covered it very early on. So there's a lot more information out there than what I had in my episode. I definitely recommend checking out The Vanished, who did a great job with it. And I believe it was Dateline who also covered it. Angela Green was last seen in June 2019, but she was not reported missing for several months because her husband had told their daughter, Ellie, that Angela had died of a stroke. But when Ellie couldn't get a death certificate and pushed her dad for more information, she realized he was lying about what happened and reported her mother missing. This update's a pretty small one. In May of 2022, the Prairie Village Police said the FBI were coming in to help but no other movement has been reported. 
Next up is Tommy Ziegler. This is the 1975 furniture store murders where 30-year-old Tommy Ziegler was charged for the quadruple murder of his wife, her parents, and another man at his store. He was tried and convicted in 1976. He has been on death row this entire time and has been petitioning for DNA testing in his case, which he believes will exonerate him. And it looks like that will finally happen. This case is of special interest to Robin Warder from The Trail Went Cold, which is how I know about this new development in the case, and hopefully this DNA testing will bring about some answers. Next up, we have another small update, and this one is the Barry and Honey Sherman case. Their bodies were found in their home next to their indoor pool. Just about a year ago, in December 2021, the police released a video of a suspect. This video shows someone who was walking near the neighborhood around the time they were murdered. Then in October 2022, the Toronto Star reported that the head detective on the case said they are now looking overseas for information in this murder, and they are looking at five countries but would not name them because they didn't want the killer or killers to know that the police were onto them. A little bit of a bigger update here with the Caitlin Kelly case. She was a 22-year-old mother who vanished sometime between the evening of June 16th, 2020 and June 17th, 2020. I spoke with her mom for the episode, which covered not just her case, but other Menominee tribal members who were missing or murdered. It was in March of 2021 that human remains were found on the reservation. The autopsy concluded that they were of Caitlin Kelly. And Caitlin's case remains unsolved, officially speaking, but her family has very strong suspicions of what happened and exactly who was involved. But like I said, officially unsolved and no arrests have been made. And last up is Sherry Papini. We went over the affidavit released when she was arrested, and I will update you to say that she pleaded guilty. She was sentenced to 18 months in prison for faking her own kidnapping. She took a plea deal, and part of it requires her to pay more than $300,000 in restitution. The sentence was a bit of a surprise because the prosecutors asked for eight months behind bars, her attorney asked for one month behind bars and seven months home detention, but the judge, saying he wanted to deter others and basically making an example out of her, went for an 18-month sentence. Sherry began her sentence in November, and because this is a federal sentence, there is no parole. She's going to serve 85% of her sentence, which is 15 months, and she will be released around mid-February 2024. In the meantime, her husband has filed for divorce. So those are our updates as of the end of 2022. Here's to 2023, where we will have more updates more in-person meetup opportunities, and more life balance for me and hopefully for you as well. And with that, I wish you a happy new year.